It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is our Red Sox writer, Bill Koch. Bill, it's 79 degrees and sunny outside. It's finally really feeling like baseball weather out there. I'm liking it, Bill Corey. I'm liking it a lot. Um, Red Sox, of course, are uh, down in Florida to play the Toronto Blue Jays, if that makes any sense. Uh, <laughs> but they're playing uh, yeah. in Dunedin in the Blue Jays' spring, uh, spring training home, obviously with the COVID pandemic and the, um, the challenges that Canada is facing and the restrictions that all of us are facing. Uh, the Blue Jays are not playing on their home turf, so for now their home turf is Dunedin, Florida. Uh, for a while, and then I guess they go to Buffalo, which is a lot closer to Toronto, but still not Toronto. Uh, Buffalo, yes. They're AAA affiliate, which is where they played their home games last season. Um, this series really is just the latest reminder that, yes, we are getting closer to normal. Capacity limits are being lifted. COVID restrictions are being lifted. But we're just not quite there yet. Yeah, yeah not, not yet. Getting close. Um, I, I was uh, impressed by sort of the... Um, what they were doing to kind of retrofit or, or I guess, adapt that uh, spring training facility into a more of a, a little bit uh, more of a, a major league facility with the the extra lights that they've installed, mm-hmm. kind of the uh, the tent that's serving as sort of a, the visitors' locker room, I guess. Yep. Uh, you know, and I, I know Alex Cora yesterday had some words of praise for the staff down there. But it still must be a weird thing if you're if you're a player on the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, you're basically you've played every game on the road this season. You basically lived out of a suitcase for the last fourteen, fifteen months. If if you're a veteran on that team, you've been in Toronto for a little while. You you probably you know lease or, or rent or you know possibly own a condo downtown. It, it's a beautiful city, a great place to live. Um, it is fairly residential around Rogers Center, yep. which, which is your home park. Uh, and you haven't seen that for, for months. Uh, you know, you had summer camp there last season. Right. And then you were informed by the Canadian government that you weren't going to be allowed to travel back and forth to the States uh, because of the pandemic. And, you know, I would imagine that, that it's been a major challenge for, for Charlie Montoyo, the, the Blue Jays manager and, and his staff, uh, you know, and the way they've started 2021, I'd say they're responding pretty well to it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, uh, despite uh, all of those challenges and the fact that they that they are a little bit banged up still, uh, you know, here they are, um, half a game out of uh, first place behind the Red Sox. And overall, the American League East is all suddenly bunched up. There's four teams within a game and a half of each other. The Red Sox are still on top, but you know, we're seeing that uh, at. Uh, you know, at basically one o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, and they that that could change by the end of uh, by the end of the day. Right. Uh, so, Bill, I I guess I want to start off by talking about what you wrote in the post game story today about Erod, and um, well, he hasn't been very effective lately. He's been hit hard pretty uh, consistently over his last few starts. Um, you know. And you made a good point before we started the podcast. If this was a regular year in which he had pitched last season, you know, you might look at it differently. But here we are uh, in his first year back from myocarditis. He didn't throw it at all last year uh, in uh, in season. Uh, So it kind of raises, I think, uh, maybe another flag here. 
again, it's early, and it's it's not as though he hasn't shown some uh, shown some flashes of of his old self. But the last few starts, just let's say, he hasn't been that sharp. Yeah, I, I think. His performance this year, everything that he does is going to be the backdrop for that is going to be what happened in 2020 right. with the myocarditis and the fact that he didn't pitch. Um, you know, and so any discussions that we have about Rodriguez going forward this season are all going to sort of have that underlying doubt, that sort of underlying concern. Yeah. Um, well, we're in new, we're in new uncharted waters, in new territory. We don't know. Yes. You know, we haven't seen this before. So. That's right. And and him trying to get back. Uh, after essentially taking a year off and, and being shut down from physical activities for an extended period of time. We, we just don't know where he's going to stand. We don't know how his body is going to react. If this was 2019 and he was to have three starts where he gave up 12 hits in 16 innings and then follow that with five starts where he gives up 39 hits in 28 innings, yep. we might just look and say, well, his fastball velocity is a little down and... His command isn't necessarily what it should be. Maybe he just needs to make an adjustment or two. Right. You know, maybe he can figure this out in the bullpen between starts and work back to being that guy who we know he can be. Yeah. Normally, that's what you would say. But when you put it in the context of what just happened to him in 2020, the flags get raised a little quicker and, and they're a little more red. Um, you know, and so you're curious what's going on here. For me, I don't think it's anything physical. Otherwise, they wouldn't continue to put him out there. Yeah. Uh, he has been able to give them reasonable length. He's gone five innings, uh, at least, in all of his starts this year, and he's yep. done so now for 36 in a row. Um, so he's reliably given you a reasonable amount of length in a game. Um, you know, but the ineffectiveness, if you're looking at you know, last night in particular on Tuesday, he gave up 11 hits. He's done that twice before in his career. Um, it, it would only be fair to mention that one of those was in 2019 when he was superb. Um, you know, but you couple the ineffectiveness with the fact that in a couple starts his velocity has been down a little bit. Um, you know, last night Alex Cora said that, that his cut fastball didn't necessarily look as sharp as maybe it has in the past. Uh, looked a little bit more like a slider, yep. uh, which would imply that, you know, maybe there's a little lack of finish, a little lack of extension on that pitch. Um, you just start to add all those things together and you put them with 2020 as a backdrop. And you're maybe a little bit more concerned than you normally would be over the course of his career. Yeah, and again, let's not make it sound like he's having a horrible season. He's not. Uh, but, you know, as of late, the performances haven't been that good. I think the batting average against is is like 290. And, uh, you know, his ERA is, is 4.70. So, you know, some uh, certainly not, uh, not what you would hope out of the guy that you thought was going to be your ace. Uh, uh, but again, it's early. We'll see if this is hopefully just a kind of a bump in the road, uh, and he kind of get, gets himself back on track, or if there's something more to it uh, that uh, that is in fact related to, to not be not not pitching last year. Uh, so, um, Bill, um, uh, if we switch from the from the starting to the uh, to the bullpen, um, uh, their closer uh, Matt Barnes has been superb. Except for that one outing recently, when uh, when Shohei Otani got to him, and uh, you know, getting past the disappointment of that loss, which was kind of a, a gut punch because they had that game, uh, I think it's it's worthwhile just to just to 
um, just be amazed here for a minute at Shohei Otani, who is now leading the major leagues with 14 home runs, I believe, or at least the American League, probably the major leagues. Uh, he's got 33 RBIs. He's batting 270. Oh, and by the way, he pitches. <laughs> and he's pitching to a 2.10 ERA over five starts, and he's got 40 Ks. Bill, what the hell? Uh, he's he's basically he, he's doing things in a major league diamond that you would do in a little league diamond. It's amazing, it really is. Uh, it, it is incredible. Um, you know, he is a phenom. I, I think I think you know a lot of times we use great and we use phenom and we use these superlatives and you know we probably overuse them. Um, you know, but in his case, he is doing things that that we have not seen. Uh, Matt Barnes described Otani as the most physically gifted player he's ever seen. Hmm. On Sunday, after he gave up that two-run homer in the ninth, uh, the Red Sox lost out on a chance to sweep the series against the Angels, who are dreadful. Right, really not uh, yeah, a good as, team. As good as Otani is, and as good as Mike, Mike Trout are, the the Angels stink. Yeah, they they are really not a good team. Um, you would have liked to have seen the Red Sox finish that off, but you're undone by a moment of individual brilliance uh, from a player who is being used and doing things you know that we have not seen before um, you know physically you wonder whether or not he's able to do this I, I think that was the question from when he was signed you know prior to 2018 season yeah uh, he has had Tommy John surgery already right. Right. Um, you know so you wonder what sort of toll this is going to take on his body long term um, but just for now, through 45 games, it's spectacular. It really is. You know, you and I chatted a little bit about uh, Ted Williams uh, and, you know, being the last player to hit 400 uh, 80 years ago, I think it was, uh, and how that's not something that that's, that's ever going to be uh, repeated. I don't know that this would this will ever, ever be repeated. I mean, it's, it's so, it, it is so beyond uh, the norm it's one thing if he was sort of a decent pitcher and a decent hitter, but right now he's an MVP candidate as a as a play as a hitter, and he's you know he's one to know with a two point one ERA on a team that can't that can't score runs besides for besides him and Trout. Uh, so you know he's doing it really at the highest level on both ends. And you're right, you know it's we're only forty games in or forty five games in or whatever, but it's still just remarkable to behold. Uh, for somebody to do it at this level, you know, for this, you know, really for this long, for, for three months, two, two months, three months into the season. When, when you have fellow professionals marveling at your tools, yeah. that gives you an idea of how special right. <laughs> you are. You know, Barnes made the point after the game to say, you look at this guy. He can throw 100 miles an hour. Yep. He can hit the ball 600 feet. Um, you know, for me, just looking at him athletically, he looks like he could play center field. Right, runs well. Sure. He's graceful. Yeah, um, you know he looks athletic. You know everything he does looks reasonably smooth. Yeah, very fluid. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's just when you have fellow pros at that level who are great in their own way, they have to be to get there. Um, when they're marveling at what you can do, your physical skill set, that gives you an idea of just how impressive this guy is because they don't do that right they don't go out of their way to say wow this guy's great you know or he's one of the best i've ever seen they reserve that for the very very special and and so that they're talking they're talking about that way they're talking that way about otani yep 
right now, it, it says a lot about where he's at. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it gives you reason to want to get uh, tickets when the Angels are in town. Absolutely, for him and Trout. Uh, it used to be for him and Pujols, but Pujols isn't around anymore. So. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, obviously, they released Pujols, and, yeah. and now Trout is on the injured list yeah. uh, with a calf strain. Uh, he's out six to eight weeks. And, and so I would ask the question, Bill, and I had this thought last night when the announcement came out that the Trout was going to go on the IL and the Angels are in last place in the AL West. Yeah. Do you make Otani a one-way player for the rest of the year? Do you shut him down from pitching? Do you save his bullets? Right. So right. to speak. Because the Angels are going nowhere. They're, no, I, they're terrible. I get it. I get it. But boy, he is he's doing so well on both ends. I'd hate to be the person that, that would sort of get in the way of that. Of course. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, I and, mean, and I understand if, that if he was just a, sort of if he was just sort of a middling pitcher and he's and he's pitching to a four and a half ERA and, and, and you know, like, you know, why don't we just we we don't really need we can live without that for a while. And you're right, they're not going anywhere. But boy, if he's pitching like this, man, I, I wouldn't stop it. That's a very no-fun, killjoy take on my part. <laughs> right. and, and I acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, you know, But if you're the Angels and you're looking long-term future of the franchise and, and you're thinking, we're not contending this year, we're not any good, yeah. where are we really going? Are we going to wring every last drop out of this guy for a team that's going to go 70 and 92? Should we do that, you know, or should we wait until next year when maybe we could be better? Who knows? Or, sure. or 23, where maybe we could be better? Who who knows? You know, I, I'm sure they don't even know. But for now, you know, just, just looking at what he's done through 40, 45 games and, and what he has the potential to do going forward, it, it is really special. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, you brought up the term uh, no fun and kill joy. So that brought up, uh, in my mind, Tony La Russa. Um, <laughs> Very good. Very good. Very good. So I guess it's worth spending a minute or two on this. Uh, so, Bill, why don't you give us the background here? LaRusa basically said something that wasn't very uh, supportive of, of his own player. Um, but go ahead. Why, why don't you set it up here? So the other night in a White Sox game, the White Sox are, are blowing out. I think it was the Twins. Uh, and your mean Mercedes rookie, really dynamic player, um, one of the leading hitters in the American League at this point. He swings 3-0 and hits a home run. Yep. And so we get into the unwritten rules and the discussion about <laughs> right. you know, the gray areas of baseball. Someone should write down the unwritten rules. We write them down so we know what they are. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and Larusa has asked about it after the game, and, and Larusa, being in his mid seventies and being an old school guy. Uh, essentially says, and I'm paraphrasing, yeah, I'm going to have to have a discussion with Yermin because I don't necessarily agree with what he did. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily think he should be swinging 3-0 in a game that's out you're of up, hand. You're up by 10 or 11 runs or whatever it was. Yeah. So fast forward to the next night. Uh, the Twins, later in the game, they throw a pitch behind him, behind Mercedes. Behind Mercedes, yep. Um, and pitcher is ejected. Uh, you know, there's discussions on the field about what just happened. Everybody knows what just happened. <laughs> uh, LaRusso is asked about it after the game, and, and he says, and I'm paraphrasing again, I really don't have any problem with how the <laughs> Twins handled it. Right. Now, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I don't really know what to say or, or how to carry this forward because it just seems so ridiculous for a manager to adhere to these unwritten rules at the expense of backing one of his players. <laughs> what are we really doing here? What are we doing? Yeah, it's 
it's one thing to believe what what Larusa believed, and and I think that's fine. I think if you as a manager believe that, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that. But obviously, I think <laughs> publicly you need to be backing your your player essentially at all costs, uh, and and you know you can you're going to have that conversation with him in private, hopefully, and say, hey, you know, when we're up this much. You know, don't swing at three zero pitches from a position. I think it was a position player, right? Isn't that what you said? Correct. Yeah. So you know, don't show them up. We're already up eleven runs. That's fine, and that's probably good advice. But you know, if you're out there in front of the cameras and the microphones, your job is basically to support your team. And you could, you know, you can sort of diplomatically say something like, you know, whatever. I don't know. You know. We're going to have a, me and Mercedes are going to have a talk, but, you know, I, I support my player or whatever, and, you know, we're trying right. to win the game or whatever. Say, say something that doesn't come off as critical of your own player because you need these guys. And, and last time I checked, Mercedes is a pretty good, pretty good hitter. Uh, you need these guys for the rest of the season or for however long your tenure is in, in, Chicago, in, in Chicago. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a mind blowing thing. But then again, you think of Tony LaRussa, you know, at this point in his career, who you know? I, I guess he's not following the, um, you know, how to behave in twenty twenty one playbook. You know, uh, and he's he's kind of doing things the way he's always wanted to do them or has always done them. But yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough sell to your own team if if they know you're out there basically second guessing what you do as players. So apparently, be- between last night and today, uh, Lance Lynn pitcher for the White Sox was asked about this whole situation and and Lance Lynn said uh, essentially the more I play this game the more those unwritten rules have gone away Hmm. Um, and so Lynn's quote is relayed to La Russa right and La Russa says in part Lance has a locker I have an office I don't agree (laughs) so he's essentially going to be at loggerheads with his clubhouse over this players know they know when a manager backs them. Right. Um, you know, and they know when a manager doesn't necessarily have their back. This, this goes back to the offseason when Tony LaRusso was hired by the White Sox. Yeah. He was hired by Jerry Reinsdorf. Right. The owner of the White Sox, the owner of the Chicago Bulls. Right. Legendary um, Chicago guys had brought a lot of championships to Chicago. Who has long considered firing Tony LaRusso in the 80s one of his great mistakes in sports. Right. And he sought to rectify this. By hiring Tony La Russa 30 years later, right. as a guy in his mid-70s, who had retired from managing, had been inducted into the Baseball Hall right. of Fame. He was a consultant with the Red Sox. Consultant basically. with the Red Sox, consultant with the Angels, uh, someone who Alex Cora said he had never discussed going back into the dugout with right. Tony La Russa. Had no inkling that La Russa would want to do it. Um, you know, but I... One of the reasons that this is so disingenuous for yeah. me is if you consider the teams and the players that Larusa has managed before, and the way that he's defended them. Right. Think about Oakland in the '80s. He had Dennis Eckersley pointing at guys, yelling at guys after he struck him yeah. out, punch him out. That was much more taboo 30 years ago than it is now. Jose Canseco used steroids. Mark yeah. McGuire used steroids. Tony LaRussa publicly covered up for both of them yeah. for periods of years. Now, whether or not he knew or whatever else, mm-hmm. there was always a verbal deflection. Well, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about Mark's using Andrew Dion. I, I don't, 
I don't even know what that is. Yeah. You know, I don't know. So now we get to 2021, and all of a sudden he's found religion. Yeah. He's going to hold players accountable. Oh, you're mean. Shouldn't be swinging three. Oh, I'm going to talk to him about that. <laughs> you know. So what's next? Carlos Rodon's going to go out, pitch their next outing. You know, his next outing. He strikes somebody out in a big spot in the sixth. He pumps his fist. He points at him and says, yeah, that's right. Comes back into the dugout, and LaRusso wags his finger and says, and Carlos, don't be doing that. You can't show him up like that. Even though I had Dennis Eckersley 35 years ago, and he pointed at people and started yelling and screaming at it. Don't you do that. It's just so disingenuous. It's so out of place. And the shame of it is is that the White Sox are a Ferrari. Their roster is really good. Yep young dynamic exciting team team that has a chance to break through in the al central and maybe make some noise right in october and you've got the stodgy old schoolmaster who's <laughs> who's just making a mess of it right now um right. and if you've got lance lynn a veteran with status a good pitcher yeah. on that team yep if he's now going to be at verbal loggerheads with the manager Tony LaRusa, I don't care what his relationship is with the owner, he's going to have a hard time keeping the clubhouse. Yeah, it's one, it's one thing when you have a young hotshot player maybe at loggerheads with a manager because, you know, he hasn't been in the league that long. When you have somebody like Lance Lynn who's a veteran and has been around a little bit, yeah, it's certainly a different, uh, it's a different look. It, it, you could see very quickly players lining up behind your mean Mercedes and saying, hey, Tony. Yeah, get on our page. Right. Never mind the owner, right. who you've had a relationship with for forty years. You're managing us. Right. You're working with us. You want us to play for you. You want us to win games. You got to defend us. You, you got to get on the page with us. Right. We're the ones that you're working with. That's right. On a day to day basis. We're the not, ones who are, who are who are defining success and failure. That's for it. You. Not yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah. You know, we don't care. And, and generally, a lot of these teams, pro athletes, just in general. Unless you're someone on the level of, like, you know, say Tom Brady, who you're having discussions with Robert Kraft, and you might have dinner with him every once in a while, and you see him when he's in town and whatever else. You're the franchise. Right. Generally, if you're an athlete on a team, professional athlete, you don't, you don't socialize with the owner. You don't know who he is. You right. don't know who his wife is, whose kids are. You have no idea. He's right. just the guy who signs your checks. <laughs> doesn't really matter who the owner is. You're dealing with the manager. The general manager, you know, uh, president of baseball operations, whatever you want to call it, those are the people who you directly deal with. I, I know, you know, just from working here at the Journal, I deal with you directly. Yeah. You're my boss. If I get a call from the managing editor of the newspaper or the publisher or somebody along those lines, I know I've really screwed up. <laughs> like something really bad has happened. Well, maybe or maybe not. Maybe they're they're telling you about the the promotion or the raise you're getting. You know, I I don't. I would say I don't even know if I've I've met our publisher <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah. Well, we, we haven't been in the office for over a year, we, we so, so we don't run office. into people anymore. That's but true. Yeah, and he was he was he had recently become the publisher before yeah. that. David so. Ng, welcome, David. Yeah. Um, you know, but I like generally I I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have a reason to deal with David yeah. on a day-to-day basis because right. I'm doing my job and you're my direct boss. Right. If you're your mean Mercedes, you don't know who Jerry Reinsdorf is. You don't care that he owns the White Sox. All you care about is if the check clears. <laughs> you're worried about the manager and whether right. or not you're in the lineup. Yeah. And all of a sudden the manager's saying, oh, you shouldn't swing three and oh, you're mean. Yeah. What are you trying to do? Like it's, it's just ridiculous. It's so out of touch right. from La Russa. And the shame of it is, is that there were plenty of people in baseball who could see this coming, who felt like he was going to be out of touch and, and not be able to relate. 
he's had some bumps already, and, and this is certainly the worst of it. Uh, as we get into the middle of May, we got a long way to go before yep. we get to October here. Absolutely. Well, you know, Bill, since we're talking about unwritten rules, this might be a good time to talk about uh, a, uh, an instance of perhaps some headhunting that happened with the Red Sox last week, and that was against the Oakland A's. Hmm. Mark Cannon was at the plate. Garrett Richards was on the mound. Uh, Mark Cannon kind of tried to lean in a little bit and get, get uh, grazed on the elbow mm-hmm. by a pitch. Uh, he, he was not successful, or at least the umpire said he was not successful. And then uh, the next pitch, I think it was the very next pitch. It might have been the pitch after. Anyway, Garrett Richards came in high and tight with a fastball, real close to uh, Canna's head. Now, uh, talking about unwritten rules, um, and, and Dennis Eckersley, who was on the call that, uh, that game, was very quick to say, you just can't do that stuff. It's one thing to... to uh, you know, be upset and and uh, and I agree with Eck. What he said was, you know, it would be better if he just hit the guy. You know, throw the ball at his, you know, his backside, his leg, or you know, and send the message that way. But to throw a fastball up near somebody's head, boy, that's that that's crossing the line. Yeah, to to reset the situation, Richards throws a curveball that gets a little tight, and yeah. Mark Canna sort of leans his elbow into the strike zone with the elbow pad on, which everybody <laughs> wears now, right? The ball shaves the elbow pad, but it's in the X or in the the square in the, in the box yeah. that Nesson puts up, right. and and it's in the box that that you'll find on MLB.com if you follow the games on the game track. Right, it is a strike. So Canna turns around and, and makes it clear that he's been contacted, yeah. and you, you and, can't dive into the strike zone and, and get hit. D, <laughs> right. DJ Rayburn, the plate umpire, says, "No, no, get back here. Right. That was a strike, right. and and what you just tried to do is nonsense." <laughs> um, you know, get back in the box and, and let's finish your bat. Right. Um, now, what what Canna is doing there, you know, to me, first, makes no sense because Mark Canna's raking this year. Well, it's Bush League. Why, right? why are you I trying mean, to go to first exactly. base? You know, when you could take four bases, right. which he's done several times this season. <laughs> um, you know, but it is, it is sort of lame. And, and from the standpoint that... Uh, you know, I know a lot of the a lot of the older players who who have gone into uh, analyst work now. They they all make the point that uh, you know these guys are coming up to the plate with elbow pads and ankle guards and you know whatever else. Yeah. They're, they're up there prepared for battle. A lot of the reason for that is you've got pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour. Have no idea where it's going. Right. It's a stuff over command league, as JD Martinez has said. And sometimes you lose one high and tight. Just look at what happened to Kevin Pillar right. the other night. Gets hit in the face. Yep. Oh, broken that nose. Is, yeah, that was. Brutal. It was awful. Yeah. You know, no one feels worse than, than Logan Webb for the Braves, right. I'm sure. And it was just one of those freak things. Yeah. But you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, I, 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 you know, you watch that replay and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I understand why guys are wearing an elbow pad sure. up there. That's, sure. that's okay. You know, I, I, I understand. Um, you know, and, and so you're, uh, you know, so Canna sort of gets grazed and, and he sort of, you know, he's sort of looking, like looking a little sheepish, like a Jacob Webb. Sorry, not Logan Webb. Okay, Jacob Webb for the Braves. Um, you know, and so Canna's looking a little sheepish. Yeah, I got caught. I, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I I, I I realize now that I made a mistake. Right. And Richards comes high and tight with a fastball. Um, and I tweeted at the time. You know, I don't have any problem with Richards moving his feet after something like that. Because it is sort of cheap. You are trying to cheat a little bit, get on base in a disingenuous way. And, and as a pitcher, yeah, I would be upset about that. 
Um, but I think to X point, and, and I agree with him, is if you're going to do something like that, you do it below the shoulder blades. Right. You cannot take the risk of coming high and tight on somebody and doing serious damage to them. You, you cannot throw pitches up by the head. It, it's just we're getting into the unwritten rules again here. Yeah. But you, you just can't do that. You know, that's beyond somebody's career. That's somebody's life. Um, you know, you, you just, you don't do that. Um, if you're going to come in with some sort of brush back or some sort of pitch that's going to move somebody's feet or you want to make somebody uncomfortable, you do that around the waist or below. Um, you know, you cannot do that high and tight. And, and so Richard's doing that. Yeah, wasn't a great look. Um, you know, Eck pounced on him immediately. I agreed with Eck. I tweeted it out immediately that, that it was wrong, that he shouldn't be doing that. I think he knows that, too. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, I just, I, that's one of those things that you hope that you don't see again. No, it, 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 was, uh, it was a little scary when you first saw it, and, and I think it was a bit of an overreaction, definitely, by, by Richards. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's guys' live, livelihoods and, and uh, you know, just going after the head is just is just scary. And yeah, I just that that video of uh, of Pilar taking that oh. in the face was just was horrible. You know, you know, and 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 I guarantee you, no one feels worse you know, aside from Pilar, obviously. No one feels worse than, the than, than yeah. Jacob Webb. Sure, yeah, and and, sure. and apparently he's checked on Pilar over the last couple of days. He's he's tried to make sure he's all right. Yep. Uh, you know, Pilar suffered multiple nasal fractures he's going to have surgery um he's going to be out an extended period they they do expect him back later this year but um you know you you understand when you get in the box that that is a possibility right but these guys are just so wired to get in there and hit they don't think about that stuff Mm. you you can't you wouldn't be effective otherwise sure sure but to see it happen like that in living color it is a really scary thing absolutely absolutely uh so Bill, we, we touched upon the, the uh, at the start of this uh, the, the Blue Jays a little bit, but I think it's worth uh, t- uh, spending a couple of more minutes on on the Blue Jays. Hmm. Um, so as I as I mentioned, the American League East has got four teams uh, bunched up right at the top. The Red Sox are still in the lead. The Blue Jays right now are a, game, are a half game out, and uh, this is the team that I think a lot of people. Um, had their eyes on this year because of just their offense has been has been fabulous and they're doing it even now without some without all of their weapons they've got a couple of guys who are out right now but that blue jays lineup bill you know and and uh, you made this point a little while ago you know th- they can ruin things for you in a hurry yeah and uh, the fact that they're playing right now in a uh, in a minor league ballpark in Florida, yeah, uh, it's been kind of a launching pad. Yeah, certainly, I I don't think hurts their cause. I mean, if you look at their some of their hitters now, Vlad Jr. has got 11 home runs. He's hitting 329. Bo Bichette's got nine home runs. He's hitting 274. Sem- Marcus Semyon's got nine home runs, 273. Uh, Randall Grichuk's got. Uh, uh, seven home runs at 277. I mean, it goes on and on. And, and that's without Rowdy Telez and George Springer, who are n- not in the lineup right now. Uh, you know, I think the thing about the Blue Jays is their pitching is a little suspect, but boy, can they hit. And you're probably going to have to score four or five runs to beat them on a consistent basis, if not more. Yeah, their lineup is really good. Um, it, it is. It's, it's really good. Uh, you know, they've, they've sort of brought together this group 
of young guys. All the sons of great players. <laughs> they, they really are. It's weird. Uh, you, you've got a lot of genetic lottery guys yeah. on this team. Uh, Vlad Jr., who looks great. He's lost 40 pounds yeah. in the offseason. It shows in his performance. Yeah. I, I love to see a guy, and, and Raphael Devers is similar in that way in 2019 and again this year. I love to see guys who put in that sort of physical work rewarded right. with results. Right. Um, you know, because I, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, I've struggled with my weight my whole life. It's something that has been an issue for me mentally, physically, whatever it may be. Um, I'd like to think that if I dropped a hundred pounds that I'd feel a different way about myself. My golf game would be a certain <laughs> amount better. Um, you know, but you don't really know until you do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and in Vlad Jr.'s case, it's come out right away. Yeah. Right away. He looks fantastic at the plate. Um, Bobachet's a stud. I, I think he he's probably out of that group. I think he's the most physically gifted guy in okay. terms of five tools. Yeah, right. Most athletic, probably. You right. know, I, yeah. I think and he, and he plays the most athletic position on the field. Right. Sure. Sure. Well, you could argue center, center fielders field, would yeah. argue. Um, Kevin Biggio is an on base guy. He 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 has been. Yep. From the time he came up, you'd like to see him hit a little more, but his batting eye is very well trained. And then Lord Escuriel. His father is a multi, multi, multi-time gold medalist on the Cuban national team, which, mm-hmm. as we know, over the last 30, 40 years in the amateur ranks, is one of the best teams in the world. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, So you take all those guys and you bring in someone like George Springer, who's on the IL, who hasn't really gotten started yet. Rowdy Telez, who's on the IL. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, who is a big-time prospect, a catcher who can really hit. Yep. He's on the IL right now. Um, Teoscar Hernandez is having a breakout yeah. this season. Right-handed hitter who can do damage in a hurry. Yep. Um, you know this lineup is is just really good. You're right. The pitching is behind. You've made a couple decent additions with Stephen Matz and Robbie Ray. Um, you know Ray didn't necessarily have it last year. It's a shortened season. He's sort of trying to figure it out as right. he goes. Um, but he was a big strikeout guy in Arizona. You, he's a worthwhile flyer. Yep. If you're the Jays, you figure if he can get right, he can give us something. Right now, he's got 48 strikeouts and 40 and a third. That's more along the lines of what he did yeah. with the Diamondbacks. Um, Hunjin Ryu pitched really well against the Red Sox on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, you know, really handcuffed them over seven innings. Control over command guy. Uh, sorry, command over stuff guy. He's sort of the opposite of the league in that way. Yep. You wonder whether or not they're going to pitch enough because this offense can ruin your day you can Quickly. go in there you can <laughs> yeah. go in there for a three or four game series and they're playing at td ballpark which is the launching pad it's a top three offensive park in terms of just about any metric that you would like to look at right now right you couple that with their offense and, and just their talent you play them in a three or four game series they could punch your lights out real quick you know they've got the makings of a real good story if it wouldn't end well for the red sox if the story plays out but they really do have the makings of a good story because they've got some players who could come back and contribute this this whole team without a team without a home kind of narrative it could you know who knows what yeah. the second half of the season may be like but if no, they eventually good end up going back home to Toronto, you know, to, to play the last month of the season or whatever it is. Playing the playoffs there? Uh, you know, here, here they are arriving as a first place or a contending team yeah. and coming back home. You know, it's it, there's certainly 
um, there's certainly some potential for for it for that to be a a big story. But you're right. You look at that lineup, and you you know you're not going to go in there expecting to win a lot of one or two run games. You you, you know you they're they're pretty much going to put some points up on the board as they did last night. And that that game that game just got out of hand so quickly. And and the I think. I think the the most bothersome thing, if you're another team in the American League East, is that you expect a lot of these guys to continue to get better. Yeah, most they're all, of these guys are not they're anywhere all, near their prime. They're all young guys, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, with the with the exception of Springer, who's 31 and right. who was a big ticket free agent, a lot of these guys you've drafted, developed, signed, whatever it may be, brought through your minor leagues. Yeah, you feel like the best is ahead. You've been doing this for, without Springer, right? So you know, Vlad yeah. Junior's 22. Bo Bichette's 23. Yeah. You, you have to think yeah, you think you've got two you or got, three years from now, you're going to have superstars on your hands. Yeah, you're probably, you, you, you're probably comfortable thinking that you're going to have these guys on your team for five, six, seven years. You know? you're, you're getting into the mid-2020s yeah. with a really good talent base and a good offense going forward. Uh, well, uh, another team in the American League East uh, lately has been hit, bit by the injury bug yet again, and that's the Yankees. And now Giancarlo Stanton is on the IL with, I want to say it's a quadriceps strain. Quad and strain, be, yep. They're saying at least May 25th is probably going to be longer than that. Uh, and the Yankees really have been tested this year in terms of uh, injuries, um, you know. Uh, I'm not shedding any tears over it, certainly, but <laughs> no. but uh, but you know you looked at them on paper at the beginning of the year and you thought, well, they're pretty much going to win the division. But mm-hmm. it's been uh, it's been a struggle to, to say the least for them. Yeah, Stanton going on the IL. I mean, you know, how many times have we said it on the right. pod since since yeah. we started doing this? Right. The 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 worst opponent for Giancarlo Stanton is himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it just seems like he he has an annual stint on the IL. You know, sometimes twice annual stint on yep. the IL. Yeah. And it's muscle problems or something along those lines. He's just such a big, strong guy that things break. Um, you know, now it's a quad strain. He's had knee problems before. He's had, you know, you could run down the list. It's just, you know, his body is just so big and so strong. He's trying to play 162 games. It's just not necessarily lined up for him to be durable enough I guess not. to play 140 games. Really? Um, yeah. They've had some COVID problems as well. Glaber That's Torres right. is on the COVID IL. Yep. Um, you know, they expect him to come back at some point in this road trip, probably Wednesday night uh, at Texas. He, he allegedly is going to join the team at that yeah. point. Um, Aaron Hicks has a wrist problem. Uh, I saw the two words tendon sheath Uh-oh. the other night, and I immediately thought of Nomar Garcia. That's Parra. right. Remember that. Um, you know they're considering surgery for him. If that happens, he's out for the year. Um, you know, so they've got a hole in center field. Uh, maybe not necessarily in their lineup because he wasn't necessarily performing in, in that way. Um, I know there was a lot of consternation in New York about Aaron Boone hitting him third. Um, you know, why is Hicks hitting third? He's yeah. probably a seven hitter. Right, right. An eight hitter. Um, you know, why don't you move up Judge, move up Stanton? You know, what what are we really doing here? Is, is this, you know, is this analytics? Is this, uh, you know, Cashman telling you how to set up the lineup? Um, you know, why, why do you value Aaron Hicks like this? Uh, but defensively, he's the best natural center fielder that they have. And, and so now you... You could be looking at extended stretch where you try to force Brett Gardner out there again. You know, he's 37. Yeah. Can he be an everyday center fielder? Yeah, probably not. Um, 
They signed Ryan Lamar to a major league deal. Uh, Paw Sox fans would know that name. He was in the Red Sox system um, a handful of years ago. Right. Sort of a replacement level player. Uh, but I think bringing him onto the roster sort of suggests where they are depth-wise. Uh, you can't have Aaron Judge play center field. That, that's that's probably not <laughs> no, you don't want your best do idea. No, you don't want that. Um, he's a good right fielder at yeah. Yankee Stadium and, and just about anywhere else, but he can't play center field. Um, you know, you're not going to – I mean, they're, they're just – they're in an interesting spot if, if they don't have Hicks, just from a defensive alignment Standpoint, um, right. you know whether or not those pieces will fit. Who knows? But yeah, you know the Yankees have had injury problems for however long. When you have a big, strong, powerful team that hits a ton of home runs, it stands to reason that some of those guys are going to break down over the course of the year. And, and Stanton, you're just waiting for it. Right. You're sitting there and you're waiting for it. And he's going to end up on the 10-day IL, and you almost have to build that in. It, it's sort of like. You know, when you buy a car, you buy a house, or whatever else, you've got to build in some maintenance into sure. your budget. Right. When you're building a roster and Stanton is on it, you've got to build in the fact that he's going to miss 20, 25 games in a given year because he will get hurt. Right. Right. And you hope it's only 20, 25 games. That's you right. Hope, you that's hope right. it's not. You hope it's not two months or more. No, that's a good point. Yeah. You're right. Uh, speaking of uh, you know not playing judge in the outfield and the outfield in general, you know. Um, last week, uh, Hunter Renfro opened a few eyes, in, at least with me, with his play out there um, uh, with a couple of outfield assists. Boy, his arm is really good. I mean, a lot better than yeah. I think I was aware of. I mean, we didn't, we didn't see him that much. He came into town with, with the Rays a few times. But uh, as an outfielder and as a, uh, just as the Red Sox outfield in general, you know, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, the Red Sox had uh, – one of their best outfields of all time, you know, certainly in the discussion when they had uh, Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley Jr. and Andrew Benintendi out there. Uh, you know, it harkened back to the uh, to the days of Rice, Lynn, and Evans, uh, yes. you know, at least defensively. Uh, and uh, uh, this, this outfield certainly is not that outfield, but I have to say that Renfro has been a pleasant surprise in right, been a very good right fielder, very good arm. Uh, Verdugo in center has been, um, I would say, a little above average. Not great, certainly not to the level of JBJ, but uh, I think a little bit better than I expected. Uh, and and they've been kind of piecing it together in left. And even even JD Martinez made a few uh, flashy plays. So uh, what I thought was going to be really their their Achilles heel, you know, hasn't so much been so. I mean, they're not. They're not great out there, but they're sort of more than serviceable, I think. No, their outfield is good. It's 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 probably better than what you might have expected them to be because they do look like a collection of spare parts. Well, I, and you don't, you didn't really, at least speaking for myself, I really didn't know what Renfro was going to give you out there, and, and knowing that playing right field in Fenway is no is no walk in the park. It's it's among the most. Uh, difficult right fields in the leagues because it's so big and the the angles and the walls and all that. But he's been he's been great out there. You're right. It, it is. It's hard to adjust to. Um, you know, you, you you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, we've got the 2018 championship outfield. You're bringing through drafted, developed, homegrown guys, Ben and Teddy Bradley, Betts. Yep. Two guys who are way above average defensively, Bradley and Betts, Gold Glovers. Um, the third guy was a college center fielder, a top 10 draft pick. You felt like he had good defensive upside yep. in Benintendi. Uh, someone who's playing left field because he's third 
in an exceptional group of three. Um, you felt like physically that he might be able to handle more, but that was sort of the spot that he filtered into. Yep. Um, you go from that to Verdugo, who's a good outfielder. You know, he, he's going to be among the league leaders in assists in a given year because he can really throw. Sure. He's versatile. He can play all three positions. Um, Renfro, who you're right, he in terms of defensive runs saved, he's near the top of the league at this point right. through 40, 45 games. Um, the throwing arm is a huge plus. I think his willingness is a huge plus. Yeah. He's not afraid of the walls. No, no. He's not in the least. <laughs> no, no. He, he's he's fearless out there, which you kind of need to be out there, right? Fenway is a weird configuration, especially right down the line, and you get out into that corner in right field. Yeah. It's very strange. You see a lot of guys hit the warning track and pull up. They know that wall's hard. It's not going to give very much. There is a lot of it to deal with. Um, it's not very straightforward right. playing out there. And and so in that way, it does take someone who, who has a certain amount of fortitude yeah. to play out there. I think he has that. Um, you know, left field, at Fenway left field, I think, in, in my mind, has always been about just limiting mistakes. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I get sick and tired of people saying how, you know, oh, well, it's a challenge. And they, hey, listen, if you give me a 37-foot wall behind me, I'll figure out how to play left field, right? I mean, what what you can't... You, you just need to kind of know about the bounces, essentially, right? I mean, you don't... You play kind of a short field, and you know about the bounces. You know? Well, what you can't have happening is guys who wind up chasing the ball. Right. They miss the carom, the ball bounces away, and all of a sudden they're running after it, because that means extra bases. Right. Every single time. You don't want a guy to get caught up down in the corner over by the garage That's door right. and the ball kicks around and you know he, he you know he kicks it around a little bit and and you know can't get it out of the corner and, or he decides to go into the scoreboard and take a leap. <laughs> well, that's right. But you know the, the the irony of that though is that Manny was not bad out there. Well, that's my point. Manny was Manny not was bad, not bad out there. It, but and it's not because Manny was a really good outfielder. No. It's because it was left field at Fenway Park. It's because Manny figured out a way to play it. He yeah. was very shallow. He realized anything over his head was essentially going to be a double. Right. But he was playing an extended version of shortstop. Kind of, yeah. And any single to left field with a runner at second, you weren't scoring. Right. He was right he there. He was right there. Right. Yeah. You know, so he found a way to limit runs in that way. It wasn't going to be his range. It wasn't going to be with his gloves. Exactly. It was going to be with his positioning. Right. Um, you know, and the fact that he had Johnny Damon next to him doesn't hurt sure. because Johnny Damon could cover a lot of ground. Right. Um, you know, but left fielder to me at Fenway Park is just minimize mistakes. Don't end up chasing the ball. Don't throw the ball away. Right. You know, don't give up extra bases. If you do that, you're going to be okay. Right. Um, but Renfro is is a plus outfielder and right. Verdugo is adequate in center. Kike Hernandez is adequate in center. Yeah. You know, he's back off the IL. Um, he's fine. Offensively, they're okay. Yeah, no, that's a different that's a different discussion, right? It's no. not. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Betts is a premium offensive player. Sure. Bradley's very streaky when he's good. He's right. really good. His lows are a lot lower than what Verdugo's will be. Right, and they a last. Lot and they lasted a long time. And they last longer. Yeah. Um, you know, Benintendi, the guy who he was in 2017, 2018, yeah. early 2019, offensively is way better than Franchi Cordero. Right. Way, way better. Um, you know, so you you haven't necessarily replaced production out there no not at all but you've been 
somewhat representative. That's that's a position that you could try to improve your outfield group. Yeah. I, I think you could stand to have a little stronger bat among that group. This is why we have all this discussion about Jaron Duran. Right. When is he going to get right. here? How soon can he come When up? are they going to promote him? Because yeah. he's in Worcester and he's homering. Yep. And this new swing, he looks like a 25-25 guy, 30-30 type guy. Mm-hmm. He's not going to hit 30 home runs in the big leagues. I'd be very surprised at that. But he's not a pop gun guy anymore. Mm-hmm. That's who you drafted. Yeah. Someone who might hit 10. Now he looks like he can hit 20 mm-hmm. every year. Huge difference. Sure. Huge difference in your lineup. And, and you look at, we get back to his tools. You talk about Otani and his tools. And, oh, my God, you know, look, he can do things that other guys can't do. Well, Duran's like that. Duran runs. He's big, physical. Now, all of a sudden, he's got pop in his swing. He's adding, he's adding right. tools. He doesn't pitch, though. Let's, no, let's, let's, not, pitch. let's not get crazy. He does not pitch. He can't throw 101 <laughs> miles an hour. Right. Um, but he's adding to the skill set, and that's why he's so tantalizing. Right. Because physically, he is more talented than the guys you have here. Yep. And so you hope that he develops that. Um, so you'll hear discussions about Jaron Duran, about Danny Santana, whether or not they're going to promote him. There's going to be a lot of conversation about the back end of the roster, and I think a fair amount of that is going to have to do with second base and the outfield. I mm. think those are two areas where Red Sox fans look and say, second base, the outfield, the bullpen. These are spots where we can get better. How are we going to do that? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. And I think um, you know, with the uh, the Red Sox in contention, and as long as they continue to be in contention with the with the trade deadline, you know. Uh, I mean, it's it's a ways away, but that that'll be a that'll be a decision for the uh, for the front office. You know, is that is that do they go out and get a, a rent a player for one of those for one of those positions for the for the stretch run? Uh, because I, I'm with you. I don't know that that uh, you've got that talent in Worcester quite yet. Um, right. You know, I think you do have that coming down the pike, but I don't know if you have it this year. I, you, you probably don't. Um, Maybe not in terms of your prospect guys. Um, you know, you you could have some sort of, you know, fill in the gap veteran guys who who might be able to get there. Yep. Um, Santana, you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to activate at some point. Um, he's got a clause in his contract, an opt out clause that that says if I'm not on the 26 man roster by a certain date in May, right? Um, you know that I can elect free agency. Um, he homered again in his rehab assignment. Uh, on Tuesday night, right. um, looks to be swinging the bat well. Whether or not he comes out and and, and does well, I don't know. Um, whether or not they promote him, I don't know. They've they've got some considerable roster moves to make. Sure, uh, you know they've got some things to worry about. Whether it's you know they have Arroyo, they have Santana there. You you have to think that they're both going to end up in Boston at some point. So who goes? Mm-hmm. They've sent out ROs to activate Kike Hernandez. Who's next? Is it Chavis? Is it Cordero? Do they go to a four-man bench and a 13-man pitching staff? Mm. Is it time to do that? Um, so there will be discussions behind the scenes with Hyam Bloom, Alex Cora, uh, Billy McMillan, the Wu Sox manager. Um, they're going to be having those discussions going forward because I, I think by the end of this month, this roster is going to look a little different than it does today as we tape this on a Wednesday. Probably true. Um, and so this is probably a good spot to uh, segue into uh, your take on Polar Park, which uh, opened 
to the public uh, last week. I want to say last Tuesday. Uh, when the Wu Sox had their home opener against the Syracuse Mets. Correct. And it was a uh, bright, sunshine, big-time day in Worcester, I guess. Um, you know, they, they wheeled out all the—I shouldn't say wheeled out. They, they brought out all the Red Sox stars of the past. Or, well, many of them. Jim Lonborg, I guess, was there. I was surprised to see him. Pedro was there. Louis Tiant was there. Uh, they even brought Bob Cousy, a longtime Worcester resident, uh, and obviously Celtics great, uh, to, to say a few words. So very well done, you know, um, as far as uh, openings go. And uh, the, the, uh, the Wu Sox delivered with a, with a comeback win uh, that day as well. So, Bill, tell me, what, were your, what was your take on the whole experience of Polar Park? Obviously, you know, we, we, uh, we do this with the, the, no, the knowledge that, that it is the Paw Sox that have left Rhode Island and became the Woo Sox. So there's, there's a bit of, a, I guess, a resentment or jealousy, I suppose, for some people. Other people could, couldn't care less. But as a ballpark experience, what was your take? <laughs> Based on my emails and your emails and our voicemails, <laughs> there's some anger out there. Uh, I, I would say some of you folks listening to the pod are, are a little angry about this. Uh, Why do you keep putting the Woo Sox stuff? Who cares about the Woo Sox? Yeah, let's let's blame the media. You're more angry that we're covering it than at the fact that it is happening, that it has yeah. happened. We're not really covering. I mean, we're covering the opening because of the spectacle of it, but it's we're not really covering the Woo Sox like we would cover the Paw Sox. You know, no. they're not here. They're not in our market anymore. But uh, you know, just the fact that they the way they left and they have this big stadium and, and all that i how do you not no it's just it's it's a thing to do in america in 2021 just hate the media gee i wonder why that is uh but we won't relitigate the last right. five or six years in our political spectrum we'll we'll go forward uh yeah. you know based on the baseball for me bill it was um you know it, it was a really interesting day i was very conflicted uh mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways um Firstly, as as a Rhode Islander, somebody who was born and raised here, I was a little sad. I, I was. Yeah. I was a little sad. Um, you know, because you look at, at what has happened here at McCoy Stadium, there in Worcester, with the franchise that, you, you know, you sort of grew up with. Mm-hmm. I sort of grew up with. That sure. was sort of my entrance into baseball yep. as a kid. Those were the first professional games that, that I saw. Um, I think about all the great memories that I have with, with my family at McCoy Stadium. Um, and it makes me a little sad that, that there are, you know, the next generation and the next generation of Rhode Island kids won't have that. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was probably first. Uh, second, anytime you go to a new ballpark and, it, and it's opening day and the sun's out and it's a little warm, mm. it's a wonderful feeling. Sure. You know, if you're a fan of the game, a fan of the sport, um, a fan of sports in general. That that's a great occasion. It's really cool. Sure. Um, you know, in Polar Park uh, itself, it's not surprising the way it turned out. And and I wrote this for the journal last week. When you consider who's involved in the project, mm. Larry Lucchino and Janet Marie Smith. Yeah, they, they've they've done a few of these things before. They don't do a bad job at these. Right. They they just don't. Uh, I mean, you look at the parks that they've done. Camden Yards and Petco Park specifically, the renovations they've done to Fenway and to Dodger Stadium, not a surprise at all that it turned out well. Um, It's a good size for a minor league park. It's got a suite level. Um, It's got fan pavilions down the left field line and the right field line. Um, It looks like sort of like 
you know, outdoor beer gardens with picnic tables and plenty of food options. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it felt a little bit like a concert in certain spaces, mm-hmm. you know, as much a baseball game as it was an entertainment venue. And sure. I think that's what they were going for. Yep. Um, you know, it's got some unique design elements, whether it's the Worcester wall in right field, you've got the train going by in left field. Um, you know, you've got a few surrounding streets where they have bars open, you know, people are outside on the sidewalks, and, and this is just with 25% capacity. Well, that's the other thing, too. Yeah, you, they really haven't had the full capacity, and that's coming sooner than later now in, in Massachusetts. I believe it's May 29th. May 29th. When everything can open full bore, so, uh, so they'll, I, have a, they'll have sort of a second grand opening, I guess. So I, I think it was, you know, it was a great start. I, I think it was, uh, you know the project, the venue itself is is pretty much what I expected it to be, and 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 I mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought it would be nice, and and it is. Um, you know, I certainly think that that it's going to be well attended uh, as they get going here. Yeah, um, folks there were were genuinely excited in the streets for it. Right. Uh, it is still very much an active construction site. Yeah, there's a lot more to do. Right, a lot a more. A lot to build. more to do. Yeah. You you've got projects that are. Planned out for another three years, right. I think. I, I think the the end date on some of those projects, whether it's a hotel, parking garage, office space, like twenty three or twenty four, like twenty three like or twenty four, yeah. right? So, what you see now, if you happen to go to Polar Park, is is far from the finished product. Um, but what they have done to this point is is pretty good. Yeah, and yeah. and and not surprising in the least. Uh, so uh, obviously, we will. Um be keeping an eye on, although not as closely as we would have uh, been kept an eye on if, if it was the the new Pawsock Stadium in Pawtucket or even in Providence, but yeah. be that as it, as it may. Uh, so, Bill, uh, the Red Sox are going to finish up with the Blue Jays t- here tonight and tomorrow night uh, at the uh, the famous 7.37 start times when they play the Blue Jays. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they've uh, they've got a little National League kick coming they've uh, they're going to philly uh for uh, three games they welcome the braves for a couple and then they welcome the uh the miami marlins uh so um so uh so the red sox will only have to deal with having a pitcher hit i guess in one of those series at philly and then they'll they'll be back at fenway right uh Always interesting to see when that happens. I think when the, <laughs> when the pitchers get the bat, unless you're Shohei Otani, then you're not missing anything, right? God, then you don't want him to hit. <laughs> right. I mean, right. goodness gracious! Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also, you circle the date and that yeah. upcoming homestand. Uh, you've got Atlanta for two, the Marlins for three. Mm. Um, during that Marlins series is when Fenway Park will go back to full capacity. Ah, very good. Yeah, uh, that's Saturday the 29th, I believe. Massachusetts right? so. opening up. Yeah. Um, Fenway Park opening up. The Red Sox have announced they've put single game tickets on sale. I think through the end of May and possibly into June a little bit. I, yep. I know they go on the road after the Marlins series. Uh, they go to Houston. I think they go to New York after that. Yeah. Um, and then they have Houston at home the first full week of June, Houston and the Blue Jays. Um, you know, but that'll be the first time that, that we have a full Fenway Park um, in a long time, yeah. since September 2019. Um, you're seeing concerts booked now at Fenway Park. They've added 
Zach Brown Band. Uh, they've added the Jonas Brothers was announced today. Oh boy! Um, I, I wonder if uh, the ladies in the Corey household will be. Uh, I'm sure they're aware of it. On on Dad and and on Hobby to secure some tickets. Uh, you know, maybe hitting up the Red Sox connections for that. Um, you know, I don't I, have any Red Sox connections. People always sure say you that. Come you know on. what I mean? Come on. It's like, oh, can you get tickets? No, I can't get tickets. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. I mean, I can get right. a press pass for me right. or for you, but I can't get tickets, you know? I mean, Eve, Eve or Liv might want to review the show <laughs> well, that, for the pages right. of the I, journal. I right? could get creative. That's Maybe true. Maybe that, that could, could be something creative. along those lines, right? <laughs> you know, it could be take my daughter's to work day. You know, <laughs> right. They're writing the concert review and you're just sort of hanging sure. out and saying, hey, yeah, Family Park, right. not so bad. <laughs> Um, but yes, just Massachusetts moving up its reopening from August 1st yeah. uh, to the end of May. I mean, how much more positive sign could you get than that? No, it's great. And I think, as you mentioned, with all the concerts being booked and stuff, there is this clear pent up energy. It's like, let's just get out there. And we're finally at the point, I think, now where we can kind of do it safely. You know, I, I think we're, we're nearing the point where half the country is vaccinated. Uh, you know, it's the summer season, so things are outside anyway. We're not going to be cooped up inside. Uh, I know you and I both have had our second vaccines. I'm about, uh, you know, three or four days from being fully, you know, uh, have the two-week period. So I'll be fully sort of vaccinated, fully, uh, I, I don't know, bulletproof, I guess. Uh, I was going to say, this this could be the last twin bills that we do. With the masks. Where we're both masked. Yeah, we, right, because... Uh, are here at the offices of the journal. We, we are open, even though there's nobody here. It's a it's a uh, it's a voluntary uh, kind of situation where if you want to come in and work in the office, as you and I are doing basically once a week now, mm-hmm. uh, you can. And I think slowly uh, there'll be more and more people. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the fall. I think, you know, my wife's employer said that uh, they can work at home for the summer and then. Uh, come, I want to say September sometime, they're going to have the offices back open and they hope people will come back to the office. So I think, yeah, I think we're on this sort of, uh, we're sort of on this path to kind of steamroll back to normalcy, which is great, you know, and I think, you know, uh, we certainly learned some things about how business gets done and and how productive people can can be um, working remotely. But I think there is also a lot to be said for being able to be in the same room and, and, uh, uh, you know, being with your colleagues and bouncing things off each other and stuff too. So it'll be an interesting uh, new uh, world, I guess, uh, when we uh, when we are coming back to uh, coming back to normalcy here. Uh, so, Bill, I think we've taken up enough of each other's time here. We've crossed the sixty minute mark, which is always the uh, the warning flag for me. <laughs> so we are going to wrap it up, uh, and uh, we'll see how the Red Sox handle. The uh, the launching pad for these last two nights down in Dunedin before they uh, before they head north and we'll do this again in a week or so. Bill, thanks again. All right, Bill.